Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather. And Lord, as we look at your word now and at this specific beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, we pray that by your spirit, you would instill in us a, a deeper desire to be a people who love and pursue peace. I pray, Lord, that if we have been quarrelsome, if we have been divisive, if we um, have sought to cause conflict rather than peace, I pray that through your word here this evening, you would convict us and rebuke us. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us by your spirit and that we would truly seek to live according to your word for the glory of Christ's name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, if someone were to write a book on every conflict between the race of mankind, I wonder how many page pages that book would end up being. It would no doubt be an insurmountable number to us. And this book would only be a book covering major world conflict between peoples and nations. This book wouldn't include all of the conflict in smaller areas of life, like work, friendship, family, and marriage. Human history is a history marked by strife, conflict, hostility, and war. Wherever there are two humans, there is bound to be conflict and strife. As Miss Universe pageants often remind us that world peace is the ultimate goal for humanity. But the reality is we're no closer to such a reality than when we first began to pursue it. One conflict ends and another begins. And it's into this world of conflict that Christ, the Prince of Peace, summons his disciples to be representatives of him by being peacemakers. And that's what we see here in Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. And just as poverty and spirit, spiritual mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, just as all of those are distinguishing markers of a true citizen of Christ's kingdom, so being a peacemaker is as well. A true disciple of Jesus loves peace, pursues it, and seeks to maintain it. There's an emphasis throughout the scriptures to live in peace with one another, but also to live in peace as much as possible with the world. So um, I'm just going to have each, uh, a few of you read different texts just to see the emphasis in scripture about the importance of peace. So um, John, can you read Ephesians 4, 1 to 3? Josh, First uh, Peter 3, 8 to 11. I'm going to skip you two, and I'm going to go to Pat. Uh, Pat, can you read Romans 12, 14 to 18? Um, and then Shimwe, can you read James 3, 13 to 18? So once, so we'll just read it in that order. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. If you have it, go for it. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Great. So, so what is it that, that Paul is urging us in verse 1 there? 
says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he unpacks what that looks like. And one of the things he says in verse three is eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay. First Peter three, eight to 11. That's you, Josh. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not pay do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Excellent. So he begins at the beginning, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, all of those things serve peace, right? And at the end, he says, seek peace, pursue it. So be eager to maintain, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 3, seek it, pursue it. Romans 12, 14 to 18. Blessed those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, Leave a peace with everyone. Great, yeah. So, so um, in this context, Paul here is exhorting the Christians. Really, he's explaining what love looks like. He begins this section by saying, "Let love be genuine," and then he unpacks it. And I think what he does is he he speaks about what genuine love looks like in the context of the church, and then in the context of the world. And here, it's in the context of the world where he says in verse eighteen, "If." If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That should be our aim. So far as it depends on you and I, we should seek to live peaceably with all. Okay, now James 3, 13 to 18, Shimwei. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make so, so there, of course, James, he's, he's really contrasting these two ways of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, the wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom of the world is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. And, and, he, and he's speaking there primarily about bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, boasting and being false to the truth. James says that that's demonic. Selfish ambition is demonic. Bitter jealousy is demonic but then he talks about this other wisdom that comes from above and he says it's first pure and peaceable and then verse 18 and a harvest of righteousness is sown 
in peace by those who make peace. So just those are just a few texts. We could look at a, many more texts, but you see this clear emphasis in the scriptures on the importance of peace, being a peacemaker, pursuing peace, seeking it as much as possible. See, peacemaking ought to be in the DNA of a Christian. As A.W. Pink states, Christians are lovers of concord, promoters of unity, healers of breaches. Christians don't rejoice in strife or conflict. They don't pursue strife and conflict. They don't applaud or cheer on conflict and divisiveness. The Christian is devoted to producing peaceful waters, not tumultuous waters. One of the ways to see how important peacemaking is in the kingdom of Jesus is to see how strongly God negatively speaks about divisiveness and quarreling. So another, I want more people reading scripture here. So Korah, Proverbs 23, uh, JP, or not PJ, we have a JP in our church. I, I confuse you guys now. Uh, PJ, James 4, 1 to 2, uh, Bayou, um, which one's, yeah, Romans 13, 13 to 14. And then, who have I not? Uh, Bev, Titus 3, 9 to 11. Proverbs 23. So, the reason why we're looking at these texts is to see how God speaks negatively towards divisiveness and quarreling. It, it, it demonstrates just how much God values peace. So, Proverbs 23. Uh, just verse 3. Thank you. Do not desire to... Sorry. 20 verse three. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. Sorry. That's my fault. I, <laughs> I was like... 20 verse 3. Awesome. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Did you hear that? It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. That's his honor. What does the fool do? But fool, every fool will be quarreling. There's a lot of fools on social media. It's the honest truth. James 4, 1 to 2. I thought I had the Martin Luther King version for a while. I couldn't find James. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I, this is a King James version too, everyone. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, James 4, 1 to 2. Yeah. From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. So PJ was rereading from the Greek New Testament there. <laughs> so let me read that in a little bit more modern English. So, so we, uh, I like it. Yeah, it is beautiful. Um, so, James, what causes quarrels and what, cause, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Here's the reality. If you are quarreling with someone, this is what it comes down to. There are passions at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Quarreling, fighting, this is not of the Lord. Romans 13, 13 to 14. Let us, let us walk properly as in the daylight, daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify his desires. Excellent. See, see that list of sins that Paul lists there? It's fascinating what he puts into that list. There's a lot of sins he could have put in there, but he puts orgies, drunkenness, sexual morality, sensuality, and quarreling, and jealousy. He puts quarreling and jealousy in this list of, of all these forms of sexual perversion. Um, so it's clear that, that Paul's saying here, quarreling, jealousy, this is not of the Lord. God hates quarreling and jealousy. Titus 3, 9 to 11. This is probably the harshest text in the New Testament about division. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. You can't get much stronger language than that in the New Testament. Um, for a person who stirs up division, warn him once, then twice. Have nothing more to do with him after that. Why? Because that person, a divisive person, Paul describes as warped and sinful and self-condemned. That's how God views quarreling, divisiveness, um, fighting, so, so, so here's an important question for all of us. Does your life breed peace or strife? Would people say you're a peacemaker or a conflict creator? What would your spouse say? What would your coworkers say? What would your kids say? What would the internet say? based upon how you interact on there. Understand this. Peacemaking is a direct assault upon the demonic world. Satan is devoted to strife, conflict, hostility, and disorder. That's what he sought in Genesis 3, was to create conflict between man and God to create disorder. There was harmony, he sought to bring disorder. He wants to destroy nations through war. He loves hostility and hatred between ethnicities. He treasures marriages that are full of strife. He loves churches that are full of disunity. And when we as Christians actively pursue peace, it's a direct assault on his evil schemes. But if we're breeding conflict and strife, we're only serving the purpose of Satan in this world. Christ calls his followers to be peacemakers. Now, we need to ask, why is peacemaking so important in the economy of Christ's kingdom? And I think the answer, answer is quite simple. It resides in who God is and what he has done in the gospel, which we know is called the gospel of peace. Peace is important to God and it's important in the economy of Christ's kingdom because God is the God of peace and because the gospel is the gospel of peace. Romans 15.33, Paul says this about God, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16.20, he says, and I love this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
See, it doesn't mean that God doesn't ever deal with conflict. It doesn't ever mean that God won't go to war. He will crush Satan under his feet, but he is the God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. See that? Aim for restoration. That's a peacemaker. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So the scriptures reveal God as the God of peace. And this is primarily demonstrated through the gospel. The gospel is God's means of establishing peace between God and humanity and fellow humans with other humans. So in Colossians 1, 19 to 20, Paul says this, this incredible description about what Christ has done for in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then Ephesians 2, 13 to 17, which we looked at when I preached on peace um, during Advent. But in, in Ephesians 2, 13 to 17, the focus there is the, the peace that has come about through the gospel, but between Jew and Gentile. In other words, through the gospel, God has united into one man, both Jew and Gentile. So he says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that, that is you Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. That is both us Jews and both Gentiles one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God. So now we have the vertical, right? He might reconcile us now both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So God is the God of peace and the gospel is God's act in establishing peace between man and God and between fellow man with fellow man. And this is why recipients of the gospel, kingdom citizens, are called to be peacemakers. We've experienced peace with God and fellow believers, and we want to extend that peace to others. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20, Paul speaks about the ministry of reconciliation we've been given because of the gospel, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, part of what it means to be a peacemaker is to be an ambassador for Jesus and to call our fellow man to be reconciled to God through Jesus. Every time you attempt to share the gospel, you are seeking to create peace. You are seeking to be a peacemaker. See, our, our peacemaking as Christians can be a visible demonstration of the gospel. Which also means our conflict and our strife and our hostility can undermine our witness the gospel. 
There are lots of things that damage our witness as Christians. But a church where strife resides and there's no peace or unity, this does horrible damage to our witness. The consequences are far more than we realize. Now I want to get really practical and, and wrestle through what peacemaking looks like in the Christian life. I think we can often um, think of peacemaking as appeasement, but that's not the scriptural understanding of peacemaking. Nor is peacemaking sweeping things under the rug. Avoiding conflict altogether isn't peacemaking. Being fearful of conflict doesn't mean that you're a peacemaker. You're, you're afraid of having conflict with your spouse, so you, you just end up burying things and never addressing things. That doesn't make you a peacemaker. If anything, it makes you a coward. See, being a peacemaker isn't just about keeping the peace. Being a peacemaker requires a willingness to humbly address the conflict when it arises with the motive of love and the goal of reconciliation. So let's take the gospel for example. Humanity is in conflict with God in rebelling against him because of sin. There is strife between God and humanity. So what does God do to establish peace to bring about reconciliation with humans? Does he, does he just look past the conflict and sweep it under the rug? No, he doesn't do that. No, in love, he engages and confronts the conflict. He confronts the conflict in order to establish true reconciliation and peace. He confronts us in our sin, but also in love, he provides the means by which we can be reconciled to him. Now, of course, as Christians, we know that there's a place for love to cover a multitude of sins. That is, when someone sins against you, there is a place for you to allow your love to cover that sin, to not hold it against them, and to move on, right? But that's still very different from sweeping things under the rug in order to just keep the peace. There is a place of forbearance, even in the life of a church, right? We need to learn to patiently bear with one another. That's part of what it means to seek peace. And, and, and in one sense, we've had to do some of that with this pandemic. We don't all agree on how we ought to respond to this pandemic. And we've had to bear with one another during this time. But peacemaking isn't avoiding conflict all the time. So don't think you're a peacemaker because you're in the sweeping things under the rug kind of business. A peacemaker has the courage to address whatever conflict there may be in humility with an eagerness to pursue the truth and acknowledge one's own wrongdoing in a given situation and is eager to seek reconciliation. And this is why peacemakers are usually quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. See, peacemakers are meek. They have the humility and gentleness to diffuse a situation without compromising the truth. 
And so a simple question for each of us this evening is this. Who are you not at peace with right now? And what have you done about it? Have you talked to other people rather than the person themselves? Gossipers are not peacemakers. Are you concerned that your strife has the potential to damage your witness to the gospel? Does that ever come to your mind when you are in conflict with someone else? Christ summons us to be peacemakers. You represent him. And you can either do that well or poorly. You see, if God is willing to reconcile and make peace with us despite all of our sin, then God forbid that we ever think, I can't make peace with that person. So a distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus is that of a peacemaker. And then Jesus tells us, that peacemakers are blessed, and he tells us why. For they shall be called sons of God or children of God, that is, fellow heirs with Christ. They will be adopted, or they are adopted, into Christ's kingdom. So the peacemaker is blessed, has God's favor, because they are the ones who are called children of God. It's not those who win a theological argument that are called the children of God. It's not those who have all of their doctrine figured out, even though doctrine is important, that are called the children of God. It's not great preachers, it's not great Christian writers or singers that are called the children of God. It's peacemakers. Peacemakers are called the children of God. Men and women who are committed to pursuing peace. It's they that have the honor of being identified as God's own children. Those who have been adopted into the kingdom of God are men and women devoted to peace and have the unfathomable blessing of being children of God who are full of peace. Conflict, hostility, strife is continuing to grow in our society. It's getting worse. And this pandemic is only creating greater hostility. And I want to exhort each of us, don't add to the conflict. Pursue peace and let the world know through your conduct that you are a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, for all the ways in which we have caused strife in our own lives with our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our church family, we ask that you would forgive us. And we ask that as individuals, Lord, we would be people who are known to pursue peace, to be hung hungry after peace, to love peace, and to seek out reconciliation with those we have wronged or who, we, who have wronged us. I pray that we as a church would be known for our peacemaking. Help us to truly represent Christ in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name.